jump right on into it. Paul, this is um, Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And so last week in chapter 17, we saw that Paul went to the capital of knowledge, where nothing but new things were being discussed at the Areopagus. Um, It was uh, Mars Hill is what it's known as. And so there Paul would give a fairly eloquent teaching. He would even quote directly from the prophets of their own land. And in that we saw that a few people believed, a few people put it off, and he took two disciples with him. And so he leaves now Athens and he heads to Corinth. Corinth. The armpit of the known world then. In fact, to be called a Corinthian was somewhat of a cuss word. If you really wanted to put somebody down, if you, if you really wanted to, to get them good, you're, you're a... No, you're worse than that. You, you're a... Wait, hold up. You're a Corinthian. Oh, oh no, for real. Is this on now? Those are fighting words. Let's go. To be called a Corinthian would be like just a, a, a wretched, debauch, just a, a, an ugly, no set of morals and values kind of person. And that's where God is driving Paul to go and minister there. If you want to get uh, some insight, I'll give you a little homework. I always probably leave you guys with more questions than I answer. But uh, I'll open this one up for you. You want to see how bad Corinth was? Paul would write Romans chapter 1 from Corinth. Romans chapter 1 shows a spiral of degradation within humanity as humanity kicks God out of the picture and you begin to see their life and what it looks like when individuals kick God out of their life. It's just a degradation, a spiral that just goes downward, downward, downward into a place where people don't know which way is up, where they begin to call good bad and bad good. And so Corinth is where he's headed. Verse 2 says, And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, so we have Aquila and Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. Now, so what Paul would do as a tent maker, every rabbi, Paul being an ex-rabbi coming out of Judaism, every rabbi was commended to have a trade so that they can support themselves in the ministry. And so by trade, Paul was a tent maker. He comes across Aquila and Priscilla, and they say, hey, we're tent makers. You're a tent maker. Let's look up. Let's earn some money so that we can do the ministry. And that's what they're doing. So there are individuals who are called to ministry, and yet they are tent makers. All my life in ministry, I've been a tent maker. And as the church just continues to do what it's doing, I'm sure the Lord is just moving me to an arena and an area where... Ah, might not have time to do tent making, but I'm still working. Tomorrow I'll be driving up to the mountains. No, no, tomorrow I'm training, and then Tuesday I'm driving up to the mountains, and then Friday I'm bringing that group back from the mountains. So the Lord still got me working outside as I continue to minister within the church, and it's a joy for me. 
but it's just the schedules just squeeze in. So pray for me and pray that uh, God will give me the grace to just continue to do what he's called me to do. So by trade, Paul is a tent maker. Now, is there anything wrong with receiving money from the ministry? No. The Bible declares that uh, there's a scripture about ox and, you know, as the ox treads, don't de- deny him his meal. Don't, something like that, right? Yeah. Don't muzzle the ox. There you go. So, so let him feed as he works. And so uh, nothing wrong with that. I think Paul did it for several reasons. I think he definitely didn't want people to think that he was in it for the wrong reason, serving the Lord for gain. And we see the abuses in, in a lot of uh, ministries today, don't we, where people are just, they're taking the money and they're doing things with it and you look and it just leaves a bad taste in the mouth of, of the Lord and the church and just as people look on and you hear, you know, an individual driving three Rolls Royces. Can you drive three Rolls Royces? I thought you can only drive one vehicle at a time, but they've got three Rolls Royces that they have and they boast about it from the pulpit as if, they're doing right because they have three Rolls Royces. And I think that's an excess, and I think that's an abuse. So Paul didn't want to give a black eye to the ministry and to the gospel. And so he lived above reproach in that area. He was a tent maker. Verse 4 says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Verse 5 says, And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul compelled by the Spirit... And testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now there's a contrast in verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, G, uh, Paul is reasoning in the synagogues. He's trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks, it says. And he doesn't mention Jesus. He doesn't mention that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Not until, verse 5 tells us, Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia. Macedonia. And it's almost like Paul is encouraged when the brethren come to be bold for Jesus. And I think there's something to be said about that. Notice when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two. And so there's something to be said. Sometimes there's just things that we have to do individually. Some things that the Lord calls us to individually. But we're a community. We are a family. We are to minister side by side arms linked together, doing the work of the ministry. And so there are times that we have to reach out to others. Street witnessing is a very difficult ministry. It's neat when you go with a brother or sister to do street witnessing. When you just go out and you knock on people's door and you say, hey, I want to invite you to church. Have you been to church for a while? Well, I don't go to church. Why should I go to church? And then you just begin to share the love of Christ and the gospel and why people should go to church. Well, you're commanded to go to church. It's good to go to church. Be a part of a community and a family. But it's neat when you do that with somebody. So you see Paul is encouraged as Silas and Timothy come to them, come to him. Verse 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. I'm leaving you guys. I'm leaving the synagogue and I'm going next door. Hey, uh, you want to let me... You want, you want to let me in? I want to minister to somebody else. He goes next door to minister. Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean, he says. There are, there's a scripture in Ezekiel 
that talks about the blood being on your hands if you fail to tell somebody what God is calling you to tell them. So we have a responsibility. We are to be the watchmen on the wall. We have a sphere of influence of the people that come into our lives to make sure that we're proclaiming again to them the truth that God is bringing to us. Okay? Um, there's a scripture in Joshua, I think it's chapter 2, where Rahab and, um, is going to hide the spies and everyone in her house is going to be saved. And anybody who's not in that home, the blood will be on their heads. And so the contrast of Ezekiel and Joshua, the blood on your hands is we as believers have the responsibility to make sure that we are telling people the truth of the gospel and what they need to hear. The blood on your head is when you reject the truth of what God is bringing. The only safety would be in that house. The only safety is in Jesus Christ. And so if people make a conscious choice to say, ah, Jesus, don't want it. All right, blood's going to be on your head. And that's exactly what Paul is bringing to these, Gentile, to these Jews. I've told you that Jesus is the Christ. I've shared with you the gospel. Your blood is on your head. It's no longer on my hands. My hands are clean. I'm clean of this because I've spoken the truth to you. I've delivered the message to you. So now your blood's on your head. You're going to have to deal with that. So he goes next door to justice. Verse 8, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. And so the new ruler of the, of the synagogue, he ends up believing by seeing what's going on next door, and that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to provoke the Jews to faith in Christ. Our lives are supposed to exemplify the light of the world and what's happening in our lives as Christians that Jews would look on and say, wow, man, look at the favor that God has on their life. And so that's exactly what happens to this individual. Verse 9, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. Now the Lord spoke to Paul. What did he speak to Paul? A word of comfort. What happens as we've been going through the book of Acts, every single time Paul finds success in ministry, Peter finds success in ministry, the apostles find success in ministry. Wasn't Paul dragged out of Lystra and, and, and stoned and left to die? Absolutely. So every time he finds success in ministry, he gets this incredible persecution and warfare. And so he is troubled. Do not be afraid means he was afraid. And the message that the Lord gives him is, Paul, don't be afraid. Don't keep silent. Verse 10, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. What a word of encouragement he gives him. Now, Corinth, again, the armpit of the world. I have many people in this city. I wonder... Were the many people in the city already converted or would it be, I see the beginning from the end and I have many people in this city, Paul, that you are going to use to bring out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's marvelous light. And I believe it was the second. Garden Grove. God's, God's got many people in this city. Orange County. God's got many people in this county. Los Angeles. California. God's got many people. And we are the ones that need not be afraid. 
We are the ones that need to hear that and say, Lord, you've got many people in this city. Will you use me to bring those people out of the darkness that they find themselves in? That I would be comforted in fellowship with those like-minded believers as they're coming to you, as they're being set free from what they're in. And so what a word of encouragement that God brings to Paul. Verse 11 goes on to say, And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. A year and six months. By far, this would be the longest stay that Paul would have up to date. A lot of times he'd be there a couple weeks, maybe sometimes two months was a long stint. But in this case, he's there a year and a half and continuing on with them from the point that he was already in Corinth, teaching the word of God. The contrast between teaching and preaching, you teach believers, you preach to unbelievers. And as you're sharing from the pulpit, both should be happening simultaneously. The gospel should be going out preaching so that the unbelievers would come to know that God loves them, come to recognize that God has a plan for them, come to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, Preaching, but then you have teaching, expounding the word, breaking it down, bringing the cookies down to the lower shelf so the kids can have at them, as Dr. Walter Martin used to say. Not up there, right? We're, not, we're teaching sheep, not giraffes, right? So it's good because you guys have a guy that's like real simple, simple-minded, kind of no brain cells working up here. So it's, I keep it real simple, okay? And so that's teaching and the difference, the contrast. But what did he do? He taught the believers. He taught the believers. I come from the church that I was saved at. It was preaching every Sunday, preaching, 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 preaching. What happens when all you hear as a Christian is preaching, preaching, preaching? You don't grow. You don't grow in your faith. You don't, you don't, you don't hear the doctrines that need to be taught. You don't hear the truths that you need to be walking in. You hear the gospel over and over and over and over. And so it wasn't until the Lord led me out of that denomination and I found a teaching church where I would sit under the word and I would be able to grow as a Christian, growing in the grace and knowledge of God's word. And so we're compelled to do both. You teach believers. Verse 12, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat saying, this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Um, so Paul is being accused of doing something that he's not doing because it's from their perspective that they're saying that this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Contrary to their understanding of the law, yes. Contrary to the way they looked at it, yes. Contrary to the law, God's law, God's word, no. They wanted a Messiah that would come and be a political figure, a political leader that would set them free from the, tyr I don't know what that word is, tyranny, tyranny, tyranny of the head politicians. They didn't understand that this Messiah would have two advents. And so they put the two comings together and all they did was concentrate not on the suffering Messiah, but on the victorious Messiah. Jesus is coming back, and Jesus will rule and reign. And he's coming back not as the Lamb of God, but he's coming back of the, the, the wrath of the Lamb. He will judge the world. He will judge a Christ-rejecting world, and he will, will rule and reign. 
but they were putting those two together, and they wanted him to rule and reign on the earth, not in heaven. Verse 14, and when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo Galio said, interesting that I see, it's almost like Paul doesn't need to open his mouth. When he was about to open his mouth, Galileo steps up and he begins to defend him. And I think that's very important for us. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. And so we sometimes need to hold back the words that are coming out of our mouths. We need to be very careful. Wednesday's study was all about the tongue. And uh, we were encouraged to get the hint. God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as long as we speak. And so we have to be careful. Don't be quick to defend yourself. Don't be quick to rise up, even if it's righteous indignation. But did you hear what they said about me? I got to... Time proves truth. Time will reveal lies. So time proves truth. If you're living in truth, if you're walking in truth, time is going to reveal it. No matter what they're saying, no matter what's being said about you, no matter what's going on, time is on your side. In the same way, living lies, ultimately, uh, eventually, it'll be exposed over time. So live the truth. Live with a clear conscience. Let them say what they will. Let them rag on you, bag on you, talk about you. Because over time, it's going to be vindicated. And so here Paul doesn't even need to, he tries to open his mouth. Galileo says to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be no reason, or there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, Sosthenes, oh boy, yeah, that guy, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before this judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Now, interesting, in the original Greek, um, that could be Greek or Jews. And unfortunately, here it's translated Greeks. The Greeks took him and beat him. It would make more sense, wouldn't it, that the Jews were, were upset and they beat Sosthenes, Sosthenes, whatever that guy's name is. Um, yeah, that just makes sense to me. Um, this guy would come to know the Lord. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthian church, he greets Sosthenes. So through this beating, through this tragedy, through this difficulty, and oftentimes isn't that the way it is? When we find ourselves, oh man, life is tough, life is rough. What do I turn to? What do I look? He looked to the Lord. He came to know the Lord through this unfortunate, difficult situation. Now, last section. Oh, no, we have two sections. Um, Paul returns now to Antioch, and this is where we see the third missionary journey. Verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. And he had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow. His hair cut off would be a Nazarite vow, and what he's doing is he's appealing to the Jews. He's going to Jerusalem. He's appealing to those Jews who are in Jerusalem, and some would say, why would Paul, the champion of grace, do something putting himself under the law? But remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul would write, I became all things to all men that I might win some. To the Jews I became as a Jew. I put myself under the law so that I might win those Jews. And his heart was given over to his kinsmen to his uh, 
people from his country to these Hebrews. And so he would do whatever it took, long as he wasn't sinning or doing something that the Lord wasn't calling him to. Um, so he had his haircut. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return to you again, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now this God willing thing is awesome because James would tell us the same thing. Hey, you guys who are doing business, you guys who have your life all scoped out and planned out, you know what? Don't say tomorrow we're going to do such and such or we're going to go to this place or that place. Why don't you say better if the Lord wills we'll do such and such? Because God is over your life. God is in control of your life. And you should live and speak in such a manner that people know that God is in charge of your life. And so you can have plans. Nothing wrong with having plans. You can have goals and objectives. But recognize that God is over your life. And just so, just throw that little simple thing out there. Hey, tomorrow, Lord willing, we're going to be heading on over to that place or this place. And so that's exactly what Paul does here. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Pergia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So again, he, on this third missionary journey now, he's strengthening the individuals that had already come to the Lord, and so years have passed, and now he's just edifying them. He's building them up. This is the ministry that the Lord has called him to. Now, this last section of Scripture, we're introduced to this guy, Apollos. Neat, neat guy in his simplicity, powerfully used by the Lord. God will take you right where you're at, right where you're at. The moment you give your life to the Lord, and we have this idea, well, I've Got to go to three or four years of seminary, and well, I got to study, and I got to learn all the scriptures, and don't bother me, I'm learning scriptures. And No, because the message is, is, it's in this cracked cup. We're, we're vessels, right? Jar, jars of clay, clay pots. The treasure is not in the vessel. It's not in the fact that we're clay. The treasure is the message, and the message is in us. And the message is shown through us as we are broken. What? 2 Corinthians 10. Awesome study. What? As we are broken, that light just shines through us. And we think, well, I've got to get it all together. I've got I to stand up straight and walk in a certain way so that people think I'm a perfect Christian because that's how they're going to come to the Lord. Really? They're going to come to the Lord looking at your life saying you're perfect? They're never going to come to the Lord because me and I can never be perfect. The message, the power of the gospel is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let the lion out of the cage. Just open the cage and let the lion out and watch it do its work. Guys, it's not us getting it all together. God will take us right where we're at. And if we are willing to open our mouth, God will take that and blow you away. And you'll be like, Man, I didn't even know I had that in me, man. Did you hear me? Was that recorded? I'm going to get the tape on that one. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, 
an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. What did he know? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he know? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was a one-dog pony. Repent for the kingdom. Oh, one dog. What? That's not the saying, huh? A pony show that's a one. I don't know. I don't know. I heard it somewhere. Told you I have no notes. It's like being on a trampeze without a net. It's scary. That's all he knew was the message of John the Baptist. What was the message of John the Baptist? It was a simple message. Get ready because the Messiah is coming. Repent. Turn from your wicked life. Because the Messiah, the Christ, is on his way. And through that, he was mightily used by the Lord. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So I like, I like both sides of this. Priscilla and Aquila are servants of the Lord, and they know they know the whole story. They know the full gospel. They know the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. They've got it all. And yet they're okay to sit in a sanctuary where they know a little more than the guy who's sharing. They're okay with that. And I thank God for many of you who have endured my simplicity and yet have come to me and said, Hey, uh, brother, I don't know if you know, but there's a scripture over here that says this and it expounds something for me. And I'm like, Oh, that's a word from the Lord for me? Thanks. Then I got a little knowledge. And so you may know a little more than the individual that you hear from. Are you willing to share that little more? Because Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla were willing to share it with somebody who they knew a little more of. And then I like Apollos. He was humble. He, he was able to receive from somebody who knew a little more. And in his eloquence, mighty in the scriptures, look at all these things, fervent in spirit, spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. He received from somebody who knew, who knew a little more. And that took humility on his part. And so I like both sides of this. I like the fact that there could be individuals who can just sit and, and listen. Even though, ah, I'm sure sometimes when you guys hear me and I get things wrong, you guys sit... I know, I know what he meant. I, mean, I know what he meant. He, I mean, he said, he, he, he said it wrong. He, I mean, he said it wrong. It's clear. It's clear. He, he, he didn't really mean it that way. But maybe he's got something a little later. Let's just keep listening. Okay, all right. I love you guys for that. Verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. Was he helped by Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila and Priscilla? Absolutely. And what did he do as he was helped? He continued on in faithfulness, fervent in spirit, continuing on with now the new stuff that he learned. Guys, all we are are witnesses. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit and you will be witnesses 
And what does a witness do? A witness simply testifies. And here's all you and I have to do in life. Testify of what God is doing in your life right now as people come into your presence. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to know every single, you know, dilemma and, and, and scriptural concept. If you are a Christian, God is doing a work in your life. If you're not a Christian, then God's not doing a work in your life, but God is trying to woo you and draw you to himself in faith so that he can begin to do a work in your life. As a Christian, as an individual that God is doing a work in your life, what are you called to do? Have all the answers for everybody that you ever come across? No. Witness. What does a witness do? Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's all you got to do. Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. Whoa, check this out. I'm struggling over here. I'm suffering over here. And then, boom, God just brings this answer, and I was praying for it. Woo! <laughs> That's pretty cool. Whoa, God's doing that. God, God did that, and God, you prayed, and God answered. Whoa, that's pretty cool. God must be real. That's, that's pretty. In the simplicity of just sharing what God is doing in your life, you are a witness. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul and Apollos. Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, Aquila, Priscilla, and uh, Father, just their faithfulness to continue to, as they head out, to be faithful, Lord, to present truth, to take a, a brother just under their wing and bless them. And so, Father, may we be those who are faithful where we're at. Lord, may we be those who simply uh, just look to you and recognize, Lord, that people come into our lives so that we can be an example to them faithful with what you've called us to with them. So thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.